And so he'll probably just go and fish some of those out, and we'll, we'll share some things that he's developed over the years. So anyway, here we are in uh, James chapter 5, and we're starting in verse 13. And I, I want to read, uh, I got that scripture right there listed in Ephesians chapter 6. I want to read a few verses from Ephesians chapter 6, and then we'll go over to James chapter 5. So in Ephesians 6, uh, verses 12 through 13 and 18 through 20, where Paul is talking about uh, being clothed in Christ Jesus for living in this age. He says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Then if you look down in verse 18, as he closes out that passage on spiritual conflict, he says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So one of the things that really strikes me there, he said, Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer, with all kinds of prayer. Some of the some versions say. So I was at a Kairos men's uh, training group yesterday in Pampa, and uh, so if you've ever been worked on one of those, they they try to build a team over several months, and everybody kind of they take time at every meeting for about an hour just for people to kind of relate what's going on in their life, a little bio, a little uh, what's what's on their plate right now, how they're doing spiritually, what's their fam- what's going on in their family, and uh, so yesterday's one of the, yesterday's questions was uh, what's going on in your prayer life right now, so. 25, 30 guys share what's going on in their prayer life. That's kind of like, uh, you want to see my underwear? You know, it's kind of, you know, prayer, prayer in one sense is really kind of a private thing, isn't it? It's really kind of private. I, in fact, I remember J.I. Packer one time, in one of the, his books I was reading, he, uh, he said, asking me how I pray is kind of like asking me how I make love to my wife. And there's some truth in that. Because it's such an intimate thing, isn't it, to pray to God. We, we tell God, we address God in ways that we never talk to anybody. Because we, one of the reasons we do that, because we already know He already knows. But the other is He invites us to come and just pour out our heart. And so we're called to pray at all times, all kinds of prayer. But anyway, we had all these guys sharing what was going on. One of the things that's kind of a recurring theme when people talk about prayer is, well, I, I pray all the time. I pray without ceasing. And, and I know we're supposed to do that, but I've never been able to manage that. I want to, and I, and I do pray at the drop of a hat, and I do pray when I see a need or somebody presents a need or I see something down the street, you know, I, I pray for that. My wife's good about that. She reminds me of that all the time when she hears a siren. She immediately goes, God bless those people. Keep them safe, you know. One day Kathy said, whenever I run over somebody, I pray for them. <laughs> you remember that, Kathy? Oh, what was the wording? When I run into somebody, that's it. She, she, meant, she meant when I'm driving by and I run into an accident, you know. I, but she, the way she said it, it sounded like when I run into somebody, I pray for them immediately. <laughs> I thought it would be better if you didn't run into them. <laughs> but at any rate, you know, so, but praying without ceasing, isn't that, isn't that something? And of course, because we have the Holy Spirit, that is occurring. That is occurring. But to be conscious of praying at all times. But Paul here says... You know, to pray at all times in the Spirit and with all kinds of prayer. So James is going to be talking about this as he closes this letter out. He's basically talking about praying 
in all things, praying about everything, whatever your circumstance is, whatever's going on in your life, whatever you're incurring, you know, anything that's impinging on your life or anything that is of a good nature, pray about these things. And he talks about all these different kinds of prayer. But it's also good to know that Paul, the guy that's inspired by the Holy Spirit, now Paul knew Jesus well, didn't he? He knew Jesus very well. He wrote about half of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But yet he still He's still asking for prayers. This bold apostle that says, I don't even count my life as precious to myself, but only that I might accomplish the ministry that's been entrusted to me, might preach the gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. A guy like that, he says, man, I want you to pray for me that I might boldly speak the gospel. Isn't that something? That, that always strikes me. So we all need prayer. We all need people praying for us. So that's one of the things we do. We intercede for one another. So we run into that all the time uh, at church. We have lists of people. If you're in one of the prayer groups, you know, that's, that's sponsored here at the church, or if you have your own, that you're, there's always these, these needs, you know. But the biggest need we have is really to be bold in the grace that God's given us so that we can pray at the drop of a hat. So we pray about people we run over, you know. And so we do it instantaneously. Yeah. All right, so Praying in, the, praying in the Spirit with all prayer. So to pray in the Spirit definitely means more than one thing, but it certainly means to pray according to the revelation of Scripture, doesn't it? Because he's the one that's inspired this thing. And so when we pray the prayers of the Bible, we are praying in and by the inspiration of the Spirit. He, I mean, you can't really get better than our Father who art in heaven. That, that's a good prayer, isn't it? Man, that's a good prayer. Jesus, said he really had some moxie when he put that one out there, didn't he? I mean, that's a great prayer, but all of the prayers of the Bible, and there are some just astounding prayers, but it means also to realize that the Spirit of God cooperates with us, fuels us, and takes our weak, trembling, you know, off-the-mark, misunderstood ways of praying, and by the time they reach the throne of God, they're hitting the bullseye. Because in our weakness, we don't know how to pray, but the Spirit of God Himself intercedes in us and through us. And then we have Jesus at the right hand of the Father receiving those prayers and representing them and bringing them to the Father. And they're, they're always answered. They're always answered in the affirmative from God's perspective, aren't they? Our prayers that we present to God are always answered in the affirmative. It may be, it may be no, but we want that no when we get to heaven. We'll say, man, I'm glad you said no, God. I'm really glad you said no to that one. You know? So he always is going to answer in the affirmative according to his will. So we know that. That's going to happen. But it also means if you're Pentecostal like me, it means praying you know, with unknown tongues, which doesn't make a lot of sense. In fact, Paul even says that, doesn't he? So I'll just leave, I'll leave this to you to look at it. First, First Corinthians 12 and 14, chapter 14, Paul says, I'll pray with my understanding, I'll pray with my spirit. Okay? So he's doing both. He's the guy that's asking for prayers of all kinds and prayers for boldness. He's praying with his understanding and he's praying in the spirit. And so we're praying at least these three different ways in the spirit. And uh, James, is, James is telling us now, as we get to the close of this, and he's written this letter not only to these people in the dispersion, these Jewish believers that are dispersed around the Mediterranean Crescent and the Roman Empire that are living in a, in a conflicted age, you know, in an unfriendly environment like we are. We're aliens and exiles, Peter says, and James picks up that same theme. So we're just traveling through. We're just traveling through. This isn't our home. You know, Amarillo is a great place to be temporarily, but it's not our home. And this life is not our home, and so we're traveling through. We're, we're aliens, we're exiles, we're dispersed from our true home in the presence of God. And so as we travel, one of the things that James is saying is remember that this life is really just a proving ground. It's a, in, the, in the good sense of taking what's 
really right and vital in us, which is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and purifying that so that when we're presented before the Father, you know, we don't take such a quantum leap from zero to infinity, you know, but we're taking steps now. We're taking steps now. So God's proving our faith. He's testing our faith. And and so he engineers all of our life. He's in control of all the circumstances. And so even though he's in control of all those circumstances, lots of times we're kind of thrown up in the air by our circumstances, aren't we? Even if we're people who believe in Jesus, these circumstances just kind of throw us up in the air. We go, wow, what's going on? What can we do about that? Well, we can ask God for wisdom. So he starts out the, the letter by saying, in this age where you are an alien and an exile and you're journeying towards your eternal home in the presence of the Father, ask me for wisdom about what's going on and how to behave and how to respond in life. And so when he closes the letter, he's come full circle. He says, all right, no matter what you're involved in, no matter what is hitting you in life, pray. So let's read these verses with that light of understanding we're aliens and exiles. We're going to be running the gauntlet of a lot of different things in life. So verse 13 says, anyone among you suffering? Anybody here suffering? Man, we're comfortable, aren't we? My neck's killing me. Yeah. I wake up every morning, I do my stretching exercise, and I think, man, that hurts. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Well, that's prayer, isn't it? Singing praise is prayer. So we might be doing that in the same prayer session, huh? I get up lots of mornings, and I'll, I'm suffering, you know, in some way, and I'll, so I'll pray about that, and, and then I've also... I remember a good hymn, so I'll sing that under my breath, not too loud, because Denise is just across the wall there, you know. <laughs> is anyone among you sick? Let him or her call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, why would you not take advantage of that invitation? Are you sick? Call for the elders of the church. Well, I hate to bother them. James says, bug them. That's what he's saying. You know, are you sick? Call for the elders of the church. Let me minister to you with their hands laid on you. Isn't that something? God's given authority for the elders. Now, elders aren't, even, aren't necessarily always official, quote, official, in the office elders. They're just people of maturity, people that are elder in their spirituality. And so we're to pray for one another and to call for people. So when Denise and I, are, when we're feeling bad, uh, we always pray for one another. Pray for this. And he's going to come to me and say, man, I'm really, this is, my shoulder's killing me. Would you pray for me? So I'll lay hands on her and pray for her. You know, when, when I'm hurting or when I'm, when I'm blue, when I'm blue, <laughs> you know, I'll say, man, I'm down. I'm down. Pray for me. You know, and so she'll pray for me. And so we're to do that to one another, but we're to call for the elders. You know, here I am, and, and I don't want you to do this necessarily. In fact, maybe I shouldn't even mention this. So one of my jobs when I came on staff and at the end of July was I, I took over part of Paul's stuff, not all of it. Thank God for that. I took over a little bit of his ministry, and part of his ministry was visitation in the hospitals. The elders rotate on that too, but part of his ministry. I've only had like five people in the hospital in four months. Yeah. And you know, one of the reasons for that is a lot of people don't want anybody to know they're in the hospital. It's not because they're all, everybody's healthy. That's not it. So I know this from experience, because my mom and dad, they will tell, they don't even tell their kids when, you know, when my dad gets sick, you know, still when my mom gets sick, they don't want to tell anybody. Well, it says right there, is any among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church and pray for them, and what? 
the Lord will heal him, and if he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. Isn't that something? We ought to take advantage of that. Sounds kind of Catholic, doesn't it? Yep. Amen. Another thing, this is, this is if, you're, if you're close to Murray or Howard or, or Kim and you go in the hospital, typically they'll come visit you. So I, I get out of a bunch of it anyway. <laughs> it's, it's the off-scouring they leave to me. So if they don't show up and I show up, you know you're on the disfavored list. <laughs> that's, not, that's not really true. But if, they, but if they're close to someone, you know, that they've known for years, then they, they'll, they'll go on. They'll go and visit them. And typically those people reach out to them to do that. So, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Man, that's great, isn't it? Confess your sins to one another. That's why we all need to be in kind of some kind of small group that we've really developed a good relationship with. It's confidential. The people that believe the word. So that we can confess our sins to one another. There's just something about having another believer do what we're called to do, which is to be a priest. Because we are a royal priesthood, aren't we? You know, we're not a, we're not a Catholic priest. We're not the, we're not the one that, that wears the unction, you know, of the authority of the Pope. But we are the one that wears the unction of the authority of Jesus Christ who has called us and redeemed us to be a priesthood. And so when we pray for other people... All we're doing is being a bridge. That's all we're doing. It's not, it's, not our, it's not our power, but it's us being responsive to be obedient and to pray when someone confesses their sin to us or comes to us with sickness. Then he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from, the, from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So this is all very, uh, very interesting, very powerful stuff. A lot of it's talking about the keys of the kingdom that we've been given. Peter received them, and they've been passed down to the church, and we, we exercise those. If, if someone, uh, you know, we can, we can say, your sins are forgiven. We can say that to people when they confess, when they come forward and they're broken and they need help and they need aid and they say, I, I've sinned so deeply. I have this tremendous... And we can say, in the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You know? And that's something we give absolution by the authority of Jesus because this person has come in brokenness believing in Christ Jesus. And we say that over them. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? They, people need to hear that, don't they? Okay, so here's the motivations. I, I just try to divide this up in a way that I could think through it. Motivations and postures of prayer. And, and here I'm talking about posture, not physical, although, you know, we can take all kinds of postures physically. But your posture in life, where are you at right now? What are the circumstances? Where are the things that you're running into? What's pushing on you right now? You know, what are the difficulties that you're confronted with? What, what's your life like right now? Is everything just great? Isn't it wonderful when everything is great for those 30 minutes, you know, and then... So we're going to be prayers in all these, these events. When suffering, when we're afflicted, we're to pray. We should pray. Well, how do suffering and afflicted people pray? Lots of times, according to Psalms, they're complaining, aren't they? They're complaining. And sometimes they're praying for a long time. Oh, God, how long before you hear my prayer? I've been like one long dead. Where, where are you, God? How much longer before you show up and do something on my behalf? Is it okay to pray that way? Evidently. 
Evidently, because it's in the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit inspired David and Moses and the sons of Asaph to write like that. So evidently, it's fine to come in your suffering and say, Oh, God, this is killing me. I can't take it. You know, Mother, not Mother Teresa, but St. Teresa said, Oh, God, if, no wonder you have so few friends if you treat them like this. Hmm. That's called honesty, isn't it? That's just called being real. And since God knows all and sees all, and before words on our tongues, He knows what we're going to say, and He knows when we're going to sit down and when we're going to rise up, we ought to just be real with Him, hadn't we? We ought to pray, and when we're suffering, we ought to pray. We're realizing at bedrock, why would we even go to God? Because we believe. But we don't understand. We don't understand why is this going on? Why is there no lifting of this? Why is this difficult? I've got a sister that's put up with a, with a daughter that's bipolar. You would not imagine the stuff that she's been through for 40 years. And my sister continues to pray. And when she writes me an email or a text, she's always got some scripture down there about hope. And I'm, going, I'm scratching my head. I'm going, how, God, does she put up? Yeah, Wales. <laughs> that is a great affliction, isn't it? That's a great affliction. Okay. No, that's all right. That's, that's, I'll tell you, that's one of the few times that I cheer for Texas when they're playing OU. It's one of the few times. Okay. okay. Well, I'm, I'm always picking the wrong team. You know what I mean? I, I, I cheer for Texas Tech. I mean, that's, a, that's hard. Oh, God, how long? You know, how long would it be like this? Yeah. yeah. So, sometimes I think I need to quit watching football altogether. So when we're suffering and we are afflicted, we pray. And we pray honestly. We pray openly. And, we, and he's talking about me and you, praying with all kinds of prayer. And then when we're cheerful, when we're grateful, sing praises, rejoice, thank God. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that's within me. Because it's just a lid on us, you know. That, hey, forgives all of my iniquities. How many of them? Those ones that are past? Well, you bet. How about the ones in the future? I'm sure he will. How about the ones right now that I'm dealing with? Certainly all of my iniquities. You know? And so we rejoice. We rejoice in the gospel. When does the gospel get stale? It doesn't to someone who knows what the gospel is about. It never gets stale. And, it, and it's very penetrating. And it's very sharp. And it makes us rejoice, though, doesn't it? Even though it may cause pain initially, brings great joy wow what a savior what a god you know and so we rejoice so we sing praises when you're sick seek the prayers of others uh sickness is really it's ultimately about sin and if adam and eve hadn't sinned you know but who could be you know i mean yeah they did it and so we inherited it and so sickness is always about sin sometimes it's about personal sin but not always sometimes it's just because we're human and we're in this race that's broken and fallen you know but God still delivers from sickness. And so we pray. There's going to be, at some point, something will take us down. Right? i got an aunt that's 104. But she's going to die. You know, unless Jesus comes back pretty quick. She's going to die. Some sickness will take her down. Systems fail. But in the meantime, God promises great, miraculous intervention. Does it through doctors? He just does it through laying on of hands. Some places in the world where they don't have doctors... They're really desperate. Uh, and I'll tell you about this story. This is a good story. This guy, Murray had us reading a book when I was on the missions committee three years ago or so. Uh, 
can't remember the name of it. It's written by Paul Borthwick, who's a professor at uh, Gordon-Conwell. And he's a missions guy, and he's traveled the world for decades. And he's always been highly involved in missions, and he's looking at missions and how the Western world needs to come alongside the rest of the world instead of coming in there as the experts. We'll tell you how to do this. You know, he said they don't want that. They want people that realize they're joint heirs with Christ Jesus, too. So he, he said when this guy travels, every time he travels, there'll be somebody assigned to him to kind of get him around wherever the missionaries are working and, you know, drive him there, get on the camel, whatever they do. And so he, he said one time the guy picked me up at the airport, and he said, I wanted to get to know him. He said, I'm always finding out who these people are. He said, how did you come to know Jesus? And he looked at him and said, Pastor Paul raised me from the dead. That's a pretty good way to get to know Jesus. <laughs> and so that what this book is saying is, if you want to be disbelieving, if you want to be, be someone who believes that the gifts of the Holy Spirit passed away, don't go to the third world. Because he said they will demolish your worldview. And so people around the world can't get to doctors. They really are desperate enough that they do this first. Now, I'm not telling you don't go to doctors. You know, that's not what I'm telling you. But it's like I heard John Wimber say one time, he said, you know, he said, I get a headache. He said, I pray and take an aspirin. So that's the way we ought, we ought to approach God first, huh? And then, and then whatever else we have that we can get a hold of. So anyway, we want to pray, and, and God has revealed himself through the through the saints and praying for other people. I just got a, some verses there about, about how the prayer of faith really raises people up. You remember when Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, they're going up to the temple to worship, and they come to the gate beautiful, and there's this guy that's his friends bring him and drop him there every day. Been doing it for a long time. So what's this guy's expectation? I'm sure he's, I'm thinking he's supporting his friends partly, you know, but he's, he's also being supported. And so he's there waiting every day for alms. Peter walks by and says, get up. Do you think that guy had any faith about getting up? There's no evidence that guy had any faith. But Peter had faith. And so we're looking, when sometimes when we're blue, and we don't have the faith that we need ourselves, we can call our friends, we can call the elders and say, pray for me. When we're sick and we don't seem to have the faith that's getting anywhere, we can call for others and they can bring their faith and add it. Like those people dropping that guy down in Luke chapter 5 through the roof, carried his friends over there, they pull the tiles back, they drop him down in the middle, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they say, what? And he says, well, just so you know, I've got that authority. Rise, take your bed and get out of here. You know, Jesus has authority to forgive sins and he gives us authority to help other people. And then we have the authority to preach the gospel that sins are forgiven in the name of Jesus. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are remitted. They're removed. So we have this, this authority to, to do that. We're called to do it, and we're called to take advantage of it when it comes our turn, when life pushes on us, when it impinges on our progress. When we're guilty of sin, we ought to be praying. That's, sometimes we really don't want to do that, do we? It's like, oh, man, I hate to go talk to God about this. Really? I mean, I think that way sometimes. I think, what? what? And then I say, what am I thinking? You know? First of all, God already knows. Secondly, he says, come to me, confess your sins, and I'm faithful and just, and I will forgive your sins. And so we're called to, to pray when we're guilty. And then we're called to pray when reconciliation needs. Somebody goes astray, we're praying for those people. People that just kind of drop off, you know, and you're going, what's, what's the problem? We're, we're supposed to pray for them. So I'm in the, I'm a couple of prayer groups here, you know, and we pray for people, and I'm just... Mary Lou just prays for people that are just they're like they're off the horizon. I'm going, where are they? And they've been off the horizon for a long time. 
You know what I mean? And she keeps praying for him. She just keeps praying for him. And she's believing God's going to turn him around. I'm going, what? I don't think so. But James says, hey, somebody goes overboard. He said, you pray for him and you go to him. And you keep on praying. And so we're called to pray in all these circumstances. Qualification. So how do, how do we get qualified to pray like this? Because we've got Elijah who's a man of like nature with ourselves, right? And so it's very interesting to read about Elijah's way of prayer. He basically says, quit raining. And for three years and six months, it doesn't rain. Isn't that an interesting prayer? Jesus prayed kind of like that, didn't he? See, hear, get up, come out. That's, he prayed like that, didn't he? He had a lot of, but his prayer life was the part that we see of it in the scriptures is like the tip of the iceberg. Most of his prayer life was done private. It was like looking at my underwear, you know what I mean? It was in private. It was with his father, being in it with his father, getting, getting inspired, getting the freshness of the Holy Spirit, getting the understanding. And then when he went out to pray, his prayers were real short. Father, I know that you always hear me, but in order that they might know that you hear me, Lazarus, come forth. And that was his prayer. Lazarus came forth. And so how do we get qualified to pray like that? Well, this is a great thing that he brings us an example, not of Jesus' prayers, but he says, Elijah was a man of like nature with us. He put on his robe one sleeve at a time because they didn't wear pants, you know. So he put on his robe one sleeve at a time. And he'd get weary and tired. And when Jezebel threatened him, he ran. He ran. After, after defeating 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah and calling down the lightning and the thunder and the fire of God and consuming the sacrifice, he got rid of 850 false prophets. And then Je- Jezebel said, you're on my radar, buddy. And he's out of there. He's gone. He's a man of like nature with ourselves. Some days he's flying really high. Other days he's under the heel of circumstance. Got tired, whatever. He got blue. You know what I mean? That, the way that we get qualified to pray like Elijah is we realize we're desperate because prayer is really about desperation, isn't it? If we could handle these things on our own, we would, wouldn't we? But we can't. And life makes us know we can't handle this. What are we going to do? Oh, yeah, God said, come to me. Pray to me. Seek me. Pray like this. And so we come back, and whatever the circumstance is, we rejoice, we pray, you know, we confess, and we find God continues to lift us up and to propel us forward. And so we're called to, to realize that because underlying all of prayer is faith, and faith really is at, at its root is desperation. It really is, isn't it? We're desperate. We're even desperate when we want to when we want to praise God with gladness. We're even desperate. Oh God, I can't praise you enough. I can't I can't respond to you well enough. God help me. Help me. So that's why I think that's why Paul prays in Ephesians. You know, he said, oh, you're going to need the strength of the Spirit in order to receive the fullness of God's love. Isn't that a neat prayer? You need the strength of the Spirit to contain all that God wants to give you because otherwise it's going to pop you like a balloon. Right? And so even when we're happy, we're desperate. We're desperate to praise God. We want to give Him more. We want to give Him more. So that's, the, that's one of the ways that qualifies us. Then to be the purity of our prayer must be found in faith alone, and that is that we understand in every circumstance that it's really not us that's pulling the weight. We're in Christ Jesus. And when we address the Father, we're doing it in the clothing, in the 
the covering of Jesus. When we come into the presence of the Father, He goes before us. We're enwrapped. We're in Christ. And so this is why the Father listens to our prayers. This is, this is why we know they're heard, because we're in Christ. And even though we don't fit into all the He is and everything that He contains, still we're in Him. And so the Father receives us the same way He receives the Son. So we just keep coming, we keep coming, praying, knowing that because we're in Christ, even though we might be, not be doing too well, that God listens to us. Elijah knew that God listened to him even when he went and hid in the cave. He just didn't think that, you know, it was really that God could kind of slip the gear or something, you know, was missing out on what needed to be done. But God was faithful to correct him in that. Then uh, we pray God's many promises to answer our prayers in the name of Jesus. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. And there's a lot of prayers like that. There's a lot, of, a lot of promises about prayer. You know, if you ask and seek and knock, your Father's going to give you the Holy Spirit because He's the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or any, any change. And He's going to give you what you ask. Okay? So we're praying in the name of Jesus. We're praying in these promises. And then prayer is to be fervent. So the version I memorized this scripture years ago says, RSV says, He prayed with prayer. I thought, what? What else, what, what else would you pray with? You know, I mean, pray with prayer. It just, I guess there's really no good Greek way to do that. He just prayed and prayed. You know, he prayed fervently. And so we pray sincerely. And uh, we've got the help of the Spirit to do that. So I put you some scriptures down there. So Elijah was this man. He's, he's the poster child for the power of prayer. He lived in times similar to our own. This is good what Howard said today when it, talking, about, uh, talking about hope in the midst of desperate times. You know, if you read back in the history of the United States... Uh, during the revolutionary years in Europe in 1910 to 1920. I mean, there were terrorists all over the United States. Bombs were blown up in post offices. People were being killed by the tens and the dozens in cities in America. Then you fast forward, you know, to the 30s and into the 40s. And there were a lot of people who didn't like World War II, and they were trying to undermine the government. There was a lot of protesting about World War II. It wasn't, everybody wasn't on the same page, you know. And then you get into the 60s, and you had these riots where people were killed wholesale, you know. I mean, dozens at a time. I mean, our, it's no different than it is now. And Elijah was in a time like that where there was just a revolt. There was apostasy. There was false worship all around him. You know? Elijah was a man of like nature with us, and he lived in a very similar circumstance. And how did he meet what was pressing in on him and on the people of God? He met it with prayer. He went to God. He prayed when he was suffering. He prayed when he was broken. He prayed when he was glad. You know, he just kept praying. So I got this deal, this uh, table talk that I wonder. This is the state of theology. R.C. Sproul's magazine. R.C. passed away uh, just about a year ago, next, next week, week and a half from now. But he, his magazine keeps on going. His ministry keeps on going. So this is a state of theology in, among evangelicals, not just people that say they're Christians, but evangelicals in America. So this is, the, this is where we're living. What do people think about God and Jesus Christ, sin and eternity? This is just a few sentences. 20% of the U.S. population profess evangelical beliefs. So say 20% of us are evangelicals. Affirming they can be saved only by Christ's death on the cross and the Bible is their highest authority. 91% of the evangelicals, 91 of that 20% overall, stated that justification is by faith alone. Their thinking was seriously confused. Many evangelicals appear to be untroubled by sin. A majority, 52% of evangelicals, agreed with the statement, everybody sins a little, but most people are good by nature. That's evangelicals. How many of y'all think you're good by nature? Man, 
I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a good person. Sometimes somebody will say something to me like, boy, you're just, you're really doing good. You're, you don't know me very well. Yeah. I know me. God knows me better. Now, he, he counts me righteous by faith. But people aren't good by nature. We're broken. We're sinful. But evangelicals, this is not, this is not mainliners. This is not Methodists, not Episcopalians. This is evangelical Christians believe that sin's not that big a deal. Yeah. 51% of evangelicals agreed that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And 78% agreed that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Half of the evangelicals think, Jesus, what a creation you did there, God. You know what that's called? Jehovah's Witnesses. That's not Christianity. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was the first of God's creation. Jesus is God. He is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things came into being by Him. Sixty yeah. percent agreed that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion, not objective faith. Oh, yeah, that's rampant in the church. You know, that, that's rampant. Could you read that again? Yeah, 60% agreed that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion, not objective truth. So that's how come they can play loose with the Bible, you know. There's not objective truth. But the millennial generation, 64% of millennials agreed that there will be a time when Jesus Christ returns to judge all people who have ever lived. They were the most pro-life, which is encouraging, with 57% agreeing that abortion is sin. That is 5% higher than the generation, general American population. However, millennials were also the most likely to endorse unbiblical views on gender identity and homosexuality, and 36% said they think God is unconcerned with their day-to-day decisions. Wow. Now, that's 20% of Christians in America are evangelicals. In the United Kingdom, it's 2%. So they expected their survey this year. So he lived in a time similar. Ashtaroth. You know, Baal, they got, they got the big numbers. They're all flocking. Don't want to name any names. There's like some big churches, you know. And big, big churches. They don't like to talk about things like judgment and sin. And, you know, is there right and is there truth and there's wrong. They just want to minister to people, felt needs to encourage people. Well, that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ is God. He loves us. He died for us. He's raised from the dead. He's at the right hand of the Father. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And he says, pray. He says, pray in these days. Pray in these times. Believe me. Come to me with your desperation. Come to me with your rejoicing. Keep on coming to me. You know? And God promises to answer those kind of prayers. So we're living in a, we're living in a generation. I don't think it's any different than any other generation except we have 24-7 news cycles and we got... Twitter and Twist and I don't know what, you know, I don't know, I don't know what, Instagram and, you know, post, to, I don't know, you got all these different things that you can do. And, and if you, if you look at that stuff all the time, man, it's going to take you down. But if you look at God's word and the promises of God, even though it's tough, even though walking with Jesus is difficult, even though it brings us into a lot of trials, he supports us. And a lot of that support yeah, well, I guess you could say all that support comes to us through believing prayer. We just keep coming to him. We keep conversing with him. We talk to him about other people. Other people are talking to him about us. I got to tell you, you know, when I, whenever, uh, whenever I had a couple of opportunities to, to preach here at First Pres, man, I could, I could, I could sense the prayers of people. People would tell me they're praying. Man, I could sense it. I knew it. I was being propelled. You know, I was being held up. And and preaching three times a week, that's hard work. You know, if Howard's doing that 
most most Sundays, and he's 8 30, 11, 11 05. You know, it's like a relay race from 11 to 11 05. You run down there, you're trying to get there just in time. You know, you're doing that. But I tell you, that, that didn't tire me out. And I know the reason, because I don't have much energy. I know the reason is prayers held me up. You know? And the same is true about our daily lives. You know, that prayer will energize us, it'll strengthen us, it'll bring about the kingdom of God, and it'll also move through us to help other people. And so I want to encourage you to be a prayer. And don't think your prayers are in vain, you know. Sometimes I know. I know some days it just seems like, wow, that was the driest time ever. That was just worthless, you know. But Jesus is standing behind his promises. If you pray, you come to the Father in my name, I'm going to hear you. And to know that he's praying for us. You know, to know that he's praying for us as well as the Holy Spirit praying in us. So let's let's pray and we'll we'll go off. Father, again, we thank you for your good word, Lord. We thank you for the way that you love us. It uh, constantly comes new to us, Lord. And how you've given us power in the Spirit to walk with you and to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And to learn to love you more and to be more practical in our love, we thank you for that. Lord, we, we pray for open doors of effective ministry for each one of us. God, open those things up that, that we might put our hand to, that we might really speak your truth into that we might come alongside this week and lord we pray also that you help us to stir up the gifts of your spirit we earnestly desire the gifts of your spirit father we know that you've deposited them within us and we thank you for the evidence we've seen of them and we just pray for more opportunities to exercise those gifts god unique to us the blend of of who you are in us with your gifts by your spirit lord that we might exercise those to the praise of your glory god we know this that you will accomplish all of your purposes for us what a great promise God what a great promise you will accomplish all of your purposes for us and that God though we fail and though we fall short and though we don't even see sometimes what we need to do your grace continues it's the only thing that doesn't fail we bless you for it that in Jesus we find grace upon grace grace and truth God not just uh, some kind of squishiness but power and authority and grace and the truth lord to live within and upon thank you for that foundation life god thank you for the hope of eternity as howard said today god thank you in the midst of life we have this great hope that we'll stand before you in the land of the living to praise you and to rejoice in you so god as we go out today just uh, help us to be mindful of that more and more praying lord seeking you allowing your kingdom to flow into us and through us and we give you thanks for that in jesus mighty name amen god bless you all have a great day